We thank you, Lord. What a you had a purpose in even this disturbing thing that's so hard for parents to hear. And a part of that is that they just need to know that Brooke is yours and that you've just loaned her to them. God, I pray that she will be just more treasured and valued and loved than she ever would have as a result of your grace and your mercy in this situation. And Lord, I pray that every time Brooke's parents look at her, they will hear you saying that you love them and that you care and that you've noticed. And Lord, I thank you that they were able to accept even news like that because every one of us, we don't know how many days we have. We have nothing guaranteed to us. But Lord, we just rejoice so much in this precious little gift. I pray that on the nights when she's screaming and won't sleep and and then especially as she grows up to be a teenage little girl with all the trials and tribulations and even later than that God that it would just be there would be beneath the surface this gratitude that recognizes what could have been and that just treasures and appreciates every moment with with Brooke as being from you we thank you in Jesus name amen anybody else I know you can't top that but John (laughs) that's cool just glad he didn't open up to the picture of Benny Hinn on page 7 (laughs) no that's awesome it's neat the way God does that sends a little reminder anybody else all right Lord, thank you for Eric and the chances that he has to share with his, with his brother, with his family. And, and Lord, I know that you're going to bring fruit from that. Help him to be patient. I pray that you'll bring other people along to confirm this as well. Lord, just to share your love with Eric's brother. And we know that you love Eric's brother even more than Eric does. And so we know you're doing everything you can do, and the ball's in his court as to whether he wants to open his heart up to you or not. So, 
God, just continue to work on him and give Eric a peace. For Eric's relationship and its future, we lay it before you, and we thank you for what you have in store for them. Help them to just continue to walk in faithfulness and purity before you and to to put you ahead of and in the center of their relationship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's turn in our Bibles now to Romans, the 14th chapter. Coming down towards the end here pretty quick. Finished up chapter 13, sort of, last week. I never feel like, you know, I always look at it and go, oh man, there's so much more I wanted to say that I didn't say, and I know that you're thinking, how in the world could there be more than what you said? But next time through Romans, we'll have to pick that up. Romans chapter 14, Paul really carrying on with a lot of what he's been talking about, how to get along with people. Um, It was the whole context of his comments about government was, how can you get along and with the government, with various authority figures and various laws and rules and things like that. Because his whole interest was, how can we have a good life? How can we live in such a way that we keep what's most important always at the forefront? That we not get distracted and pulled away because life when you live it with Jesus Christ, life when you live it in fellowship in the spirit it's so amazing what god wants to do in our lives and yet satan so often wants to distract us and pull us away and he has a lot of ways of doing that and so paul's just emphasizing here in these last few chapters of romans keep your priorities straight and don't let minor things become major things that end up ripping you off well i think that when we get to heaven and we have a chance to look back on our lives. The biggest thing that will stun us is all the opportunities that we missed, all the blessings that we didn't notice, all of the the things that God wanted to do for us and we were so clueless that we either didn't see what he was doing or we wouldn't cooperate with him. And really, life is just supposed to be way better than it is for any of us. And that's why we need to be closer and closer to God and to hear from him. Because everything that his word has to say and everything that the spirit is trying to minister to our hearts, it's all about how we can fix the way we're living our lives, how we can get the most out of the opportunities, the gifts that God has given us. And so here he in this section, and it's typically seen as, it'll often be entitled, you know, dealing with doubtful things. And by doubtful things, people mean, you know, there are some things that the Bible doesn't specifically say one way or the other, should you do it or shouldn't you do it? And so how do you deal with those kinds of areas of life that involves personal conviction, that involves personal scruples? And because, see, as Paul's been explaining all through Romans, this isn't a rule book. You're not just supposed to be brainwashed as a Christian 
and then you know everything you're supposed to do and everything you aren't supposed to do and everybody tells you how to live and when you're a new Christian that's kind of what you want and you can tend to see the Bible that way sometimes because people are so good about proof texting and they think every situation that comes up boom I have a verse for that but that's really not the, the Bible isn't there to tell us everything we're supposed to do or not do. It wouldn't do us much good if it was. Because if there's one thing the law proved, it's that we can't do what it tells us to do anyway. But what the Bible really is trying to do is to draw us closer to God. It's to, as we've seen in the book of Romans throughout, respond to his grace, to understand how much he loves us, to be so impressed with the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. And if we take the Bible in such a way that it enslaves us or that we use it to enslave others, um, we're missing the point of it. It's all about a relationship that then leads to spirit-filled, spirit-led living whereby God just gives us the desires to do the things that are, that are best for us. And then we get to enjoy life the way he's designed it for us. But there are always going to be people who make issues out of or who stumble over some of these areas that the scriptures aren't absolutely clear on. And there are two kinds of people who are a problem with these sorts of things. Now, just to give you a sample of some issues, and uh, if there are some of these that you just think are cut and dried and you know, I don't want to argue with you about it. This passage tells us in the first verse not to do that. But there are certain things, like um, one that people talk about a lot is drinking alcoholic beverages. Now, I'm not trying to justify anything because I don't, I don't drink at all, and there are reasons in this chapter why I don't. Plus, frankly, I just don't like the stuff. So it's easy for me to harp on other people. But the truth is, the scriptures have a lot to say about how stupid it can be to drink alcoholic beverages because of the dumb things you do while you're under the influence of them. There's no doubt about that, but it also says things that, that refer to it in a positive way, that, that would refer to you know, celebration as involving you know, drinking wine, or it refers to the benefits of being cheered up a little bit. Um, medicinally there are advantages and opportunities from it and everything and, and so there isn't at the same time obviously pastors elders are told to not be known as those who are close to to alcohol you shouldn't always have a glass there so there are some restrictions that are there and we could argue all day long about what those are but at any rate the point is people who love God good Christians disagree on an issue like this and you know it's not so much as an issue for instance over in Europe where everyone's kind of used to drinking wine with with dinner and and the, so they have certain ways that they do things whereas here in our country we have more of a of a religious tradition of teetotalism uh, the abolition movement and everything was huge in this country so as a result, in our country, it can become a real controversial thing. And it should be something that we really consider. A whole lot of people ruin their lives with alcohol, and a lot of people die because of it. So um, 
it's something that's a serious issue and should be definitely prayed about and considered. However, people who want to say that absolutely the Bible forbids alcoholic beverages are forced to twist the scriptures in order to do so. It really, the truth is, um, Jesus went to a wedding and turned water to wine and you can, you can believe, if it makes you feel better, you can believe that that wine wasn't alcoholic. But frankly, it, it's wishful thinking. Um, Jesus drank wine the way we know it. He, he was accused. You know, he, Jesus said, hey, John the Baptist comes and he doesn't drink. And now obviously John drank something, but he didn't drink alcoholic beverages. But he said, the son of man comes eating and drinking, and you call him a glutton and a wine-bibber. So Jesus drank something that John the Baptist didn't drink. <laughs> and whatever Jesus drank caused people to then accuse him of being a drunkard. So it's kind of hard to get around that issue. And again, this is coming from somebody who, I just want to be honest about what the Bible says. And I have a ton of reasons why I don't drink. And we're not going to spend any more time on that issue. I have enough good reasons not to drink that if there wasn't a single scripture verse about alcohol, personally, I wouldn't drink. But there are some of you, no doubt, in a group this size who feel totally comfortable. And for you, it's just a nice special thing for you. And you go out for a nice dinner to have a drink. And I'm never going to, you know, try to make you feel guilty about that or bad. It's just one of those things the Bible isn't really clear on. There are a lot of other issues. In their day, it involved meat that had been sacrificed to idols. But he even talks about some people who were just vegetarians. They just felt such a conviction that they didn't want to eat anything that ever had a face. You know? And so like the vegetarians today, there were people who um, you know, believed that you shouldn't eat any kind of meat. Um, sorry about those hot dogs today. But you know, if that's... You can you could pro, you can find Bible verses that would that you could use to support that kind of a notion. Plenty of verses that would support the other side as well. But the point is, some people think one way, some people think the other way. There honestly isn't some scripture verse that says you have to eat meat or you shouldn't eat meat. It's just one of those things. Other issues involve whether or not you should watch television. There are some people who have a deep conviction that it's just wrong to watch television. There are other people who their life revolves around television. The Bible doesn't say. There are you know, other issues. There are people who um, believe that it's okay for a Christian to listen to secular music. There are other people who think that it's always wrong for a Christian to listen to secular music. There are people who believe that for a Christian that you shouldn't dance. There are other people who say, nothing wrong with a Christian dancing. There's something wrong with the way you dance. But, because <laughs> again, it's one of those things, yeah, I don't dance because I can't dance. But people have, churches have divided. People fight and quarrel over some of these kinds of issues and we try to find a verse, you know, we'll pull it radically out of context in order to say, well, you know, abstaining from the appearance of evil, or does that Beatles song really edify you? Or do, and, and, and so there's a, always a lot of opportunities for people to carve up the Bible 
in order to defend whatever it is that they feel comfortable with. Really, rather than to be free to make choices and to just let God work in our lives, we want to revert to legalism. We really want rules. And for a new Christian, this is a pretty normal thing because you're like, you come to the Lord and you kind of don't know what's going on and you want somebody to just tell you, what are we supposed to do? And really that's not the way God designs a relationship with him, but naturally as a new believer, you tend to gravitate toward that. But there's another thing that happens over time is as a mature believer, you start to once again want rules. You just want it to be really safe and nice and you want to know and you've had experiences with people getting upset and so it's just like, look, just tell me what to do. Or worse yet, out of arrogance, suggesting that the way I see it is the right way because I've walked with God for a long time and God has shown me this and therefore you guys all need to get in line with the way I feel about it. You know, there, it's the same thing can be said for going to the beach in the summer. And there are some people who just go, I can't handle going to the beach. There's just too much temptation there. But, you know, on the other hand, let's face it, how about the mall? How about anywhere else? There's, there's temptation just about anywhere that you go. But if you feel like, I don't feel comfortable going to a swimming pool or swimming in mixed company or going to the beach, then certainly nothing wrong with that if that's the way you feel you shouldn't do it but the issue becomes when we start deciding that I don't think any Christian should do this because I don't feel right about doing it and so you have new believers who are trying to hang on to the law as a way to get started in life and you have more mature believers who revert to a legalism if they're not careful not trusting the Holy Spirit to really lead and guide and what it ends up is Christians are judging other Christians Christians are attacking each other Christians are trying to tell other Christians how they ought to live their lives and Paul makes it really clear in no uncertain terms that's not the way to live the Christian life you will offend and hurt your brother you will you will you know become blind to your own faults as soon as you're noticing everyone else's you you end up with a real warped and twisted perspective what Paul wants people to do is why don't you trust the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does and then why don't you worry about yourself and and worry about you answering to him instead of constantly judging everyone else for what they are doing and so with that said, verse 1, Romans chapter 14, receive one who is weak in the faith. That word for weak means literally someone who is disabled, someone who is, as they used to translate it, lame. And so someone whose faith is broken or weak, and the idea would generally be someone who's, who's young in the Lord, receive them but not to disputes over doubtful things. Now, the words that are translated disputes over doubtful things, it's two words. One of them is a legal term that refers to 
declaring judgment. And the other is the Greek word dialogizomos, which just means dialogue, have a conversation. And so what he is telling us not to do is, okay, you need to accept people who are weaker than you are, but you don't need to get into deep discussions, arguments, judgmentalism. Don't even go there with them. Now, the fact that he says not to do it tips us off that this is something that we can be prone to get into with people who have weak faith. And he's going to describe a little bit later kind of what he has in mind by weak faith, but to give you a shortcut, Paul's attitude is the more I grow in the Lord, the more I realize that there aren't a lot of things that are that I should be afraid of, there aren't a, a lot of areas in which I need to be so paranoid about and worried about. As I, as I grow in my faith, I don't have the kinds of hang-ups that I used to have. Now remember, these are people, many of whom are either being saved out of a totally pagan background, and therefore for them to even learn what freedom is, is tough. But for them to adapt to what the Jews were doing was difficult as well. And then some of the rest of them were Jews who got saved, and they were so used to living under the law that for, you know, for them, it's like, wow, I'm looking at these Gentiles who are coming here. Look at the way that they're living, and I've been used to living another way. Um, the idea is that, that maturity in faith causes us to be able to receive more, causes us to have less hang-ups, causes us to be to not be tripped up by other people. I remember, you know, in the early days of Calvary Chapel, there were so many Christians who just were appalled by Calvary. And, we, you know, when I was at Biola, they would tell us, you know, don't ever go to Calvary, which, of course, made people want to go there that much more when you're a college kid. But and often what they would point out, and they had a point, you know, you'd go to most churches and people were dressed up and really nice and very modest. Women wore, you know, longer skirts and, you know, men would wear suits. And, and, and so it's like, wow, then you go to Calvary and there's people in board shorts and, I mean, girls dressed in ways that really could easily stumble any guy. Very, I mean, a girl is just getting saved, she's living in a commune and used to that free and open environment and all that. And, and so they weren't, the girls weren't used to wearing some of the restrictive elements of clothing that would aid in modesty, okay? <laughs> they had burned a lot of them. <laughs> so, so now it's like, yeah, it's true. And, and you could very easily say, you know, when you come, and I have people tell me this, you know, you ought to have enough respect for God that when you come into his house, that you dress your best, that you put on your Sunday best out of respect for him. And that's a point, you know, I, I, I get that, I understand that. And, and if you're dressing up because this is your gift to God to say, you know what, I, this is a big deal to me that I'm getting together with you and I respect it. 
then that's a great reason. But don't start thinking that God cares about that because this isn't his house. He's with you when you're taking a shower in the morning and he's perfectly comfortable with you in that environment as well. And so don't, don't do it for him. But see, people who grew up in church, they looked at, at the casualness of Calvary. They looked at the contemporary music that, you know, they'd see, well, you know, he came to church and just last week, um, all the guys from Love Song got back together and did a couple concerts. And, and John Mailer, the drummer for Love Song, he's been living in Europe for years, so they hadn't really played in 30 years. But I remember hearing those guys play and seeing the first time that John Mailer, I mean, churches wouldn't have anybody play drums. But Chuck was talking to Johnny, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm a drummer, but at that time John was just playing bongos. And Chuck said, why don't you get your drum kit out of storage and play a drum solo at church? I mean, that was such a radical thing. And this is, but John's like, and the way he tells the story is, it's Chuck Smith. It's like Moses telling me, <laughs> do this. And so, you know, it was the cutest thing. I, he, John's about this tall, and Chuck came out and he read Psalm 150 about praising him on, with the loud cymbals, praising him with the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And then Johnny came waddling out and got on the drums, and, and he played like a 15, 17, 18-minute drum solo that was unbelievable. I had never heard, because he had been a big secular drummer and he's an amazingly gifted guy but that was so radical for people who thought that church music sounds like an organ and now we don't think anything of it you know the Baptist everybody's got drums but you know <laughs> but in that day it was oh that's so controversial people made up lies about Calvary they said yeah when they do communion there it's with chips and fruit punch and you know it was just it was an overreaction but you know over time it's kind of funny you know I mean people used to judge everybody for you know their long hair and really how many of us that were around back then have long hair today nature itself teaches you it just doesn't last you know and so all the things that people were hung up about are worried about now you look at it and go how silly that was and then just seeing a couple Sundays ago with Chuck came out and read Psalm 150 and seeing John Mailer come and play a drum solo. And it's like, wow, what a perspective grabber. That now, and I'm looking at the crowd at Costa Mesa, it's all people with gray hair. It's all these old people cheering for this little guy with long gray hair playing drums. And I'm just going, why was this ever controversial? What's the, well, it's just a perspective of time and maturity. And so the idea is, you know what? And we're going to see later as he gets into it. Let God judge. Don't judge others. Don't even be looking at it and saying, now that's going too far. Now that I don't think is appropriate. You know, deciding propriety is not our job. You decide what's appropriate for you don't decide what's appropriate for others. Oh, inside, I could just be dying when I see some of the things that are being done in the name of Jesus today. But, uh, but I am to 
receive somebody that he receives. And I am not to get involved in even arguing over the ethics of what they're doing, deciding whether or not that's a good idea. You know, I look at churches today, and a lot of them now, big fad is having um, multiple campuses. And so I'm old school, and when I think of uh, the idea of somebody pastoring in one location but having little branches at other places and beaming an image of them somewhere else. I mean, I could very easily turn on that and call it idolatry and, 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 and ego worship and all sorts of other things, but I, did I just do that? But, <laughs> but really, sincerely, it might be 15 years from now, that's just kind of the way church is. And, you know, so do we even need to decide whether or not that's really acceptable? All we need to decide is what God's called us to do. And if God's calling somebody else to do something that I don't do, well, that's good. Then I don't have to do it, and they can do it. But his heart here is the idea of being a Christian is you receive everyone God receives. So when people are children of God, when they are preaching Christ, when they are teaching the gospel, then bless them and don't be judging them and don't be deciding especially with somebody who's just young and legalistic uh, I look at some young preachers today and there are some great preachers out there a lot of them are coming out of the young angry Calvinist camp which is like a Mark Driscoll and and uh, you know Matt Chandler and some people like that and I, and I love these guys but I think they're, you know, they have some maturing to do. But they're young. So, yeah, it seems like they're too angry. It seems like they're judgmental. It seems like I'm not like them. But, you know what? What was I like when I was their age? You know, when I thought I knew everything. I, God, if God's using people, then, then praise the Lord for that. And that's a good thing. And I would pray that God would help anyone who's serving him to find a balance and a maturity. But, you know, I've seen so many times when somebody's young in the Lord and they get all on fire and excited, and then somebody just throws a wet blanket over them by making them feel like you're nothing. You know, you need to go pay your dues. You need to go to seminary first. You need to put 30 years under your belt before anybody even wants to hear what you have to say. Paul says, you know what? Quit your arguing Quit passing judgment. Don't even dialogue down that path. You, your job is to receive, especially those who are young, especially those who are weak. And if they, for instance, have a hang-up that you don't have, they'll probably grow through it. But right now, don't feel like you need to fix them. Don't feel like you need to like convince them or flaunt your liberty in their face to just, you know, it would be like, I mean, to me, music is music, art is art, and I frankly don't have a big problem with an awful lot of secular music that some people would have. But at the same time, I recognize, you know, there are people who, now, old people who are judgmental and think they're more spiritual than I am, I really don't care what they think. I'm not going to bend over backwards for someone like that. But somebody who could really be stumbled, I, I, I really, 
I don't want to impose my standards on them because it might hurt them, and that's what Paul's going to go into here. So, you know, if I, if I have, if I'm playing some secular music in my car, for instance, I, I think about who's in my car, and, you know, it, I don't want to offend people. I'm like, hey, if, if that's kind of where you are, if you ever want to talk about it, we can talk about it, but it's not my job to make you have my liberty, and I just use music as an example because I think for most people in here it's not really a, not really much of a controversy. But so it's easier to talk about than some of the other issues. But he's just going, hey, there are people who are weak. Accept them, receive them, but don't argue with them. For one believes he may eat all things, and many of us do everything we can to fulfill that. <laughs> eat everything clear your plate but he who is weak eats only vegetables and if you eat only vegetables you probably will be weak but <laughs> but he says let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him and that's that's the key really we need to receive people who God receives that doesn't mean I'll receive you, but I'm going to try to convince you of my perspective. No, you answer to God. That's okay with me. I don't want to argue about it, these kinds of issues. I don't want you to try to convince me of your perspective, and I don't want to convince you of my perspective. You, you just listen to God. He receives you. If you're a part of his family, you're a part of my family. And I don't care if there are things about you that I don't understand. I don't care. If he receives you, I receive you. We're on the same team. We're in the same body. I don't want to draw lines and push people away because we see things differently. This goes for theological issues sometimes too. Hey, I have dear friends who I disagree with in a lot of areas theologically. And I can from my perspective, for instance, Calvinism is one of those things where there's a lot of young people that are really latching into Calvinism right now. Well, I think, okay, eventually, I figure they're going to think it through enough. There are going to be some issues biblically, and they're just going to go, okay, it's not as cut and dried as I thought it was. Jesus doesn't want, you know, babies to die in train wrecks so that he can get glory. There's something wrong in this planet. This isn't exactly the way he wants it to be. I figure, you know, people are probably going to grow to that eventually, but to spend my time trying to convince them of that and then them thinking that I am some kind of an evil, you know, less than Reformed or I'm an Arminian or I'm a Pelagian or whatever because of the understanding that I have of scriptures, I don't even want to go there. I've done it. I've spent hours and hours and hours with those kinds of conversations, and it accomplishes nothing. What I want to know from anyone is, are you a child of God? Are you someone who has entrusted your life to Jesus Christ? Beyond that, we'll deal with other issues as they come up, but I want you to know you are my brother, you are my sister. Because of our faith, our common faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm really not interested in fighting over different ways that we can divide in different ways that'll then help somebody to be right and help somebody be wrong. Listen, in most of these issues, there probably is a right and a wrong. 
but we're never going to figure that out unless we receive each other. And if I say, I'm not going to fellowship with you because you smoke cigarettes, I've just cut myself off from somebody who's a part of my body, who's a part of the body of Christ. And at the same time, I'm really not interested in lecturing you constantly on how dangerous smoking cigarettes is. Because again, if I have to, if I have to be honest, I'll, I'll, I have to admit that pie is also. And we don't want to go there. So it's like, are we brothers and sisters in Christ? Then we need to receive each other. We need to realize we're on the same team. We're part of the same body. And, you know, if, again... You know, if you want to be a vegetarian, that's fine. And if, if you came to our barbecue today and you're a vegetarian, there was plenty of stuff there for you to eat as a vegetarian that we left lots of it for you. And I... <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. God bless the people that will clean up the salad after the hot dogs are gone, Okay. But look at this, verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I love that. He says, first of all, who are you to judge another man's servant? In other words, the other person who differs from you, who do they have to answer to? Who are they a servant of? Who do they need to listen to? Is it you? You and your friends, you and your church, you have a book that they need to listen to, or do they have to answer to God? And it's just a, a simple question that we need to ask ourselves every time we begin to divide. Who is it that that person really has to answer to? And it certainly isn't me. I'm wrong way too much of the time. But they have to answer to God. And so Paul says, They'll either stand or fall based on where they are with him. And then he says, and they're going to stand because his children always do. So he says, that person that you're looking at him and going, I don't even know if they're going to make it. Don't worry, they're going to make it. And it's only God that they need to answer to. You don't need to fix them. You don't want them to be like you because even though you might be right in something and they copy you and it's a good thing for them, if in the process of that they also buy into three or four things about you that are wrong, you know, how, how, how crazy is that? I mean, and so you can have this great insight into everything that's wrong, for instance, with secular music. And, and you can even, you know, You've got the backward masking. You've got the old stories about, you know, Paul McCartney being dead. And, and you got, you know, there's demons in every song. And really, Simon and Garfunkel were actually inspired by two demons and whatever. You can have all that down. And you can be right or you can be wrong. But the bottom line is, you know what? God's going to sort it all out. So you don't have to push your view on somebody else. Because if you push your view, even though you may be completely right, and please, I don't even want to hear from you about everything you know, if you're right, frankly, you start pushing your views on other people, 
you might give them a right view, but what if you give them a right view, but they, you give them your lousy attitude? You give them your judgmental spirit. And, and often that's what happens. I see people who are so critical of other Christians, and they're some of the most obnoxious, mean people that you could ever meet. And you go, wow, you could maybe straighten somebody out in one area, but you might destroy them in another area, you're not the Holy Spirit. And nobody has to answer to you. Nobody owes you an explanation for what they do, for what they say, for how they live. They answer to God, not to you, is what Paul's saying. And ultimately, he receives them. If he's not freaked out by it, if he's not all worried about it, then why should, why should we be? And so the mature approach is to just receive people. And they're different, everybody's different. Okay, deep down inside, you know you're right. We all know we're right deep down inside, but we're actually wrong a lot of the times, we just don't know it. So all we can do is say, we're all in this together, and I receive you, and I will let God judge. I believe that God can end up preserving you. And ultimately, you know, if you get to heaven, nobody in heaven's going to be looking back and arguing about, you know, whether or not people should have wore ties to church or whether music should have been all organ music or, you know, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to be in heaven, like, going, well, so what's the deal? Jesus, I have a question for you. Should Christians really, was it really best for us not to drink at all? <laughs> Who cares? Who's going to care once we get... We get to heaven, and that's kind of what he's saying. It's like, all these things that we're arguing about, they aren't even going to matter in the long run. Everybody stands or falls, and God's going to make them stand if they're his child. If they're not his child, there's anything, no point in fixing them anyway. Verse 5, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. They had, of course, all sorts of religious holidays that they liked to keep, and all sorts of cultural holidays. And there was a question, should Christians celebrate the holidays that were big events in their town, but actually they had pagan origins? And do Christians need to keep all the Jewish holidays, for instance, and all the Jewish festivals? And big arguments about it, big division about it not that much different than today. There are still people arguing about, you know, whether we should keep the Sabbath. And, okay, if, if you want to keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. Do anything you want with the Sabbath. But Paul's saying, it doesn't matter, you know, if you want to keep it, fine. But if you don't want to keep it, that's fine, too. If you, you know, uh, are, are feel that it's wrong for us to celebrate Easter because we know that's not really when Jesus rose from the dead and it's actually a, a Babylonian pagan holiday or if it offends you that if, you know, Christians have their kids dress up like cowboys and Indians on October 31st and you're like, don't you know, you know, they're going to be spewing pea soup and their head's going to be spinning if they do. Uh, okay, fine. It's fine for you, but don't, if somebody feels okay about it, why do you want to mess up somebody's fun, pray for them, and if, if, there's, if they shouldn't be celebrating, hey, let God deal with it, because it really doesn't matter 
Paul makes it clear. If, it's, if, a, de- if a day is a big deal to you, great. Do what you want to do. If it's not a big deal to you, don't be. But don't let these kinds of things, and like Paul said over in Colossians concerning the Sabbath, don't let people judge you according to Sabbath days and new moons and things like that. And, and so we shouldn't let people force us into something that isn't a matter of our own conviction, or we shouldn't let them force us to do it. I mean, like, for instance, if you go, maybe before you were a Christian, you had a really horrible lifestyle in the occult, and there's a lot of music that really has devilish you know, implications to you, and the idea of even going to a harvest celebration on October 31st just brings back so much pain for you and so much hurt. Or, you know, if you hear a Doors song, it's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm feeling flashbacks. Well, then by all means, honor that. Don't, don't feel like, oh boy, Pastor Dave says I really need to work on this, and so I better learn to drink, and I better start to smoke, and I better... <laughs> No, 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 no. He goes on to say, no, whatever isn't of faith is sin. You do what your heart tells you to do, but stop worrying about what other people do and stop judging them and stop rejecting them. You live the way you want to live and you'll answer to God and that's fine. So he who observes the day observes it to the Lord and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. So he's going, if God is what matters to you, and if you have godly spiritual reasons for what you do, for what your convictions are, then great, we're all the same. You know, you can sit there and ask God to bless your vegetables. I can ask God to bless my hot dog. It's the same God. We can eat together. You can sit there and eat your vegetables, and I can sit there and eat my hot dog, and we'll be okay. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we, you know, as long as we're putting God first, as long as we are honoring Him. And so He says, None of us lives to Himself, and no one dies to Himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So it's all about God. You answer to him, I answer to him. Someday we're all going to die and we're going to face him and we're all going to be embarrassed at all the things that we felt so strongly about that we found out later weren't that big of a deal. Because none of it's a big deal in light of eternity. But what is a big deal is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? It's a huge deal if you do something and you feel like God doesn't want you to do it. That's a huge mistake, regardless of which thing you decide to do. It's one of the reasons why I, don't, I really don't like giving people specific counsel for their lives, even in areas where there's some pretty strong biblical evidence, and I, and I really I, I make sure I share the scriptures with them, but I always want to say, look, You get as close to God as you've ever been and do what you feel God is calling you to do. Because if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord's. Whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. If you can look at him with a straight face, you don't have to answer to me. 
I won't judge you. I'm not going to, and I might be right, probably am, but doesn't matter. I don't want to live your life for you. And so you answer to him, and, and God's so faithful. The Holy Spirit's so amazing. He, he'll always let us know if things are off, if we're getting off base. We all grow, hopefully, in the right direction. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Because the whole gospel is all about making Jesus Lord. So answer to him. Point people to him. Encourage people in him. And don't allow these other things to sidetrack you. So he says, verse 10, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt or disgust for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not going to get through this, so we'll talk about it next week. But a great start in this chapter to remind us, really, the word from this chapter is quit judging other people. Quit trying to be the Holy Spirit for other people. Quit drawing lines that separate you from others who are also children of God. Don't do that. We're going to see, we'll all answer to the Lord, and that's true. But, you know, God is not going to go to you and say, why didn't you tell your friend what they ought to be doing? We're all going to answer to him. And we're all going to show up and face him clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So it really won't matter. I believe that we have a greater temptation to do the right things for the wrong reasons even than that we have to do wrong things. Some people might do wrong things for right reasons. Usually we do wrong things for wrong reasons. But really the real trap for Christians is to is to start doing good things, but to be doing it for the wrong reason. Doing it with the wrong attitude, doing it in the wrong way. And that's why it's so important for us to let God be God. Let Jesus be Lord. Let the Holy Spirit be the one who, who ministers to people in their hearts and, and convicts us if, if that's what we need. If you change your behavior because of my conviction, that's totally wrong. You know, if you ever come away from church thinking, boy, you know, Dave seems like he's pretty much against drinking, so we better quit doing it. That's not the right reason. I don't want you to do anything differently because of my conviction. F figure out your own. Follow the Lord. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Be in his word. And you know what? God may show you something totally different than he'll show me. And that's fine with me. It's okay. Well, which one of us is right and which one of us is wrong? We might both be right because we're different. But more often than not, we're both wrong. But it doesn't matter because we only answer to him. And so as we get into this more next week, and, and he begins to now, well, after the next little section, then he starts to say, but be careful that you don't take your liberty. Paul makes it clear. He goes, you know, 
the, the, more, the older I get, the more I realize there's nothing that's sacred that way. There's no, I don't need to have any rules. But he said, even in that, I don't ever want to stumble somebody who's weaker. I don't ever want to do damage to them. And, and for me, in a lot of ways, that's the reason why I abstain from certain behavior that I would feel every license to be able to do. Um, but he starts out saying, you need to receive everyone, don't judge each other, and then he's going to move us in the direction of, but be sensitive. Don't be a jerk about your convictions. Don't be, don't think you're superior, um, and don't flaunt your behavior. There's some things that it might be okay for you to do, but maybe you should just shut up about it too, and not like do it in front of people or, or brag to people that you do it. Um, you know, maybe maybe there are certain movies that are offensive, and you know. But do you really want people that look up to you and the Lord to see you coming out of the theater seeing that movie? So go to Bakersfield. Just <laughs> let's pray. Lord, we're, we're sorry. Because every day we find reasons to object to, and in some ways even to reject, people that you accept and receive. And we have these crazy conversations where we judge each other, we argue ethics, we resent certain people. And, and Lord, what we want to do is to be obedient to your word and to recognize that Christianity is a team sport, but it's an individual faith and that it's okay for each of us individually to hear from you and to, to live by what you convict us of. We want to do that. But at the same time, Lord, to do everything that we can do to get along with our brothers and sisters and to not build walls and to not draw lines and to not argue over things that, that won't matter in heaven. So, Lord, help us to grow up. Help us to find this balance. Help us to love each other and recognize that we're all in this together pray this in Jesus' name.